Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, folks, uh, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman, and this morning we have with us from Missouri, not Kansas, Charlie Harris <laughs> from the law firm of, um, and again, I'm going to screw it up now, Seifert, Blumenthal, and Harris, and this is Charlie Harris of that Harris, so good to have you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, a- a- absolutely. So um, just to get started, uh, Latte with a Lawyer. What's your morning uh, beverage of choice to get going? It is coffee with just a little bit of um, almond milk in it, and I'm good to go. Good. Almond milk. So you're off the dairy, too? I am. I am. Yeah, me too. I uh, I, I usually have coconut milk, but I got off dairy a while ago. My daughter's a vegan, so she kind of, her influence pushed me in that direction. I'm not a vegan, but I, I uh, dairy doesn't go well after you get up after a certain age right no and it actually doesn't go well uh that or red meat after you stop or modify your diet Uh, i actually uh, went out to to dinner last night with uh, a couple of uh friends and uh, a couple of the guys and uh, it was a healthy order of steaks all around except for me and one other guy uh he had tuna and i had chicken (laughs) and they all they got a good laugh out of that. So. Oh yeah, that, that's pretty funny. Well, guys and steak kind of go together, right? They do. They do. <laughs> were you an athlete? You looked like you were an athlete. Um, I, I, I was. I uh, had the opportunity to play in high school and had the opportunity to be recruited uh, to play uh, football and track at a uh, number of small schools across the country. Oh, nice, excellent, good stuff. Um. And now you're a lawyer, so good deal. Now I'm a lawyer. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, um, so tell us about the uh, the kind of work that you do. Um, as you said earlier, uh, my law firm is Seifert, Blumenthal, and Harris, and uh, our law firm does probably about sixty five percent or sixty percent um, employment litigation work. Much of it on the defense side. Okay. Um, my practice um, is centered around employment work, largely on the defense side, somewhat on the plaintiff side, depending on uh, the particular issue. Um, And additionally, I have um, had some really uh, interesting opportunities lately. I've been named a special master on um, products liability cases, uh, as well as a receiver for an estate. uh, that's connected to a murder trial. Ooh. And so um, I get a, a nice variety by uh, judges calling and so forth. And I also get to uh, uh, arbitrate cases for AAA as well. Okay, cool. Um, so um, interesting. So employment. So are you, do you uh, it looks like you've done a lot, you got, you got a lot of accolades about being a trial lawyer. So are you going before juries in the kind of work yeah. you're doing? You are. Yes. Yes. And I, I think, you know, I always, I always laugh when you talk about accolades. I, I tell people you're only as good as your last trial and then the one after that. So um, I'm fortunate enough to um, have uh, aligned myself with generally very good 
uh, clients, uh, the team that I have, uh, and the lawyers that are partners at my firm, we all lean on each other. So it's just, it's a wonderful experience. And uh, any accolades I get, quite frankly, are a result of the team that I have. No, you're, you're a good leader, giving the uh, credit to the team. All right. I'm sure, I'm sure you're being modest. Oh, wow. No, I, I, I mean, they are, they're spectacular. They okay. Are. So, um, g give me, um, so you go, you get in front of a jury. How often do you get in front of a jury? Um, it, it just depends. You know, there could be a year I I've gone three, four years and never been in front of a jury. Now I'll have arbitrations during that period in time, which are just as stressful and just as high stakes. Yep. Um, we'll have cases that go almost up to trial and so forth. So it just depends. Um, what the, what most of America doesn't understand that it's really, you know, people glorify trials, but the reality is it's about 2% of cases that go to trial. Yeah. And so uh, it's not like uh, when I came aboard, uh, graduated from law school, some of the partners at that time, some of the uh, more senior lawyers, let's say they were in their 60s and 70s or 80s, they would talk about being in trial four days a week, every week. That's how they learned um, because they would try all kinds of cases. Um, in the area of specialization, in the area of big jury verdicts, um, with the advent of mediation and arbitration, there's less of a focus on jury trials. Yeah. At 2%, that's not, I thought it was like more like five, but you think it's 2% nationally. I think, I think, I think it's about two to 3%. The last, the last numbers that I saw in my area was about 2.8%. Okay. Okay. And I, and I, I extrapolate that, of course, uh, thinking that we're fairly typical. Um, yeah. 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 For most and, yeah. No, I, I, I realize that most things do not go to jury trial, but you're preparing in the in the event that it does go there, right? So you absolutely. The minute a case comes in, um, my mantra has always been, and it was the way I was mentored. Um, take a look at that and say to yourself, "This will be a trial." And so, all the questions you ask in a deposition, all the witnesses that you talk to, all the documents that you gather, are all centered around that idea. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Ultimately, there's going to be 12 or six people or eight people, nine, depending on the jurisdiction, sitting in a box, and they want to know um, the full story. And um, so if, if you don't look at your case that way, I'm not sure that you are uh, servicing your client the best way, to be frank with you. Yeah. So how do you get ready for that? I mean, how do you test your argument to make sure that it's going to resonate and land? the right way in the event that you do get in front of 12, six, 12 people? You know, every everybody has their own method. Um, I My method is this. Um, I'm absolutely convinced that juries are made up of people you went to high school with or your next door neighbor, or the uncle who comes to Thanksgiving and embarrasses everyone every year, Yeah. right? In other words, they're normal people. Right. And so I have a group of normal people, um, one in my law firm, two in my family, um, that I will ask them if certain things resonate, why not? And um, it has been pretty fruitful because, you know, when you're in the thick of it and you're working 
18 hour days, um, you start, as I like to say, uh, the room gets very loud. And the reason why it gets loud is because everyone's batting their eyelashes because they're in love with their own arguments. Right. And the problem with that is, of course, is we're not trying the case to ourselves. We're trying it to normal people. Um, the people that make up our families, the people that make up our members in our synagogue or church or, or mosque, those are the people. And so you better get in touch with them um, so that you can bounce those arguments off them. I do that for appellate arguments. It's particularly good for appellate arguments as well. Okay. Do you ever use uh, mock trials or focus groups to help? I, I have. I tend to... Uh, gravitate away from them, if you would. Yeah. Um, I've, I've used them before. Um, in fact, I had a client um, hire me to um, play the role of a, a well-known plaintiff's lawyer, and we tried it in front of 10 different juries mm -hmm. before they took the, the trial. It went to trial, and then ultimately the case went to the Supreme Court. Wow, big case. Yeah, it was it really was really, really interesting experience in that I tell people that um, one of the in, if there is something interesting about my career is that I didn't go to law school straight out of college. And in fact, the beauty of that was after undergrad, I actually sat on two juries. Oh. So it, this is not an academic uh, exercise for me. I've sat in there and I and I recall that uh, immensely. And then when I had the case I just talked to you about, very interestingly, once we went through the trials, we were able to see in real time each of the nine or 12 jurors, I think it was nine or 10 jurors, I can't remember, 12. Um, we got to see their, their deliberations. There was a camera in there. And it was fascinating. Every argument I thought, my gosh, you know, I, maybe I am a pretty good lawyer, right? They they just basically dismiss it. Yeah. The the things that I thought were kind of throwaways, they lapped it up. It was incredibly interesting. And it was a further um justification um for the thought process of try the case to the jury. Don't try the case to yourself. Right. But again, using using that logic there and that experience, I mean, wouldn't that sort of uh, influence you to use focus groups to test your argument? I would think you'd want to do that based on that experience. Well, focus groups are incredibly expensive. And um, I make no bones about this. I uh, serve the entity that I uh, that hires me. Sure. Um, and I say that with tongue in cheek because I don't control the pocketbook. Right. And so um, many, many uh, employers are, are just bent on the idea that they're right and they don't need the focus group. Um, sometimes as a lawyer, knowing what the maximum amount of the exposure is, it's simply not worth getting a focus group. However, um, there is a certain threshold in my mind in certain jurisdictions um, that I know I will um, yeah. go to the proverbial mat to make sure that we have a, um, a focus group for that. And, and the neat thing about focus groups now, they're so sophisticated. You can use them for different things. You don't have to try the whole case. 
Oh, yeah. You can use them for your opening. You can use them for your closing. And so it's really um, a specialized um, um, venture now. And, and that's that's great because that's something that I tell clients. And, you know, they they understand that they they they're more likely to piecemeal it as opposed to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, on, a, on a full focus group and trials. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you're mainly on the defense side. Mainly, yes. Mainly, yes. okay. I do. I have uh, uh, done plaintiffs' work, and will continue to do it. I do it um, some in the commercial area of business litigation, um, and I've also handled um, plaintiffs' cases on uh, the employment side. What, and what do you prefer? What gets you excited? Which side of it? Um, it's not a matter of this of the side for me that makes it interesting. Yeah. It's the issues, the facts, and the witnesses. And then most importantly, the challenge. Yeah. So how, tell me how you got started there. You're And you are, I know, I know you're, you're in Kansas City, so. Yes. And you got a bias towards Missouri. Is that where you're from? You're from Missouri? Um, I, my dad, uh, I'm I'm uh, what would be called a military brat. My dad yeah. was in the service for 27 years. I uh, grew up in Germany, uh, France, Washington, D.C., uh, Virginia, North Carolina, you name it. Oh, so, wow. Um, and my dad uh, had an illness and retired here in Kansas City because uh, this was the closest place where he could continue to uh, do what he did. And he was originally from uh, Independence, Kansas, which is, I think, say, a couple hundred miles from here. And so uh, I think maybe seventh, eighth grade, we came here. And um, that so Kansas City is home for me. OK, so that's, that's home. Yes. But again, on the Missouri side. On the Missouri side. Yeah, yes. you don't go to Kansas. You never go over there. Well, I have a couple of friends that, that <laughs> I tolerate them being from Kansas. I I, I joke about that. I we, we have a very friendly rivalry here in, in the Midwest. Um, it's not only Kansas, Missouri, uh, Kentucky. Um, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri. Um, it's really predicated on college sports more than anything. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah, college sports in the Midwest, Big Ten, Big A. The, that's a big deal. I know that. Um, it is. Yeah, it big is. deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, is is there a? Um, I, I know I just had this discussion, but I mean, a lot of times too. Uh, uh, maybe not in, where you are, but there's a difference, like in state income tax. So people go over to either side if they want to buy a big you know you know a car or something because they can save on the uh, state is is, it, is there a difference between the two states i don't know that there's a difference in the taxes um but there are certain um uh politically uh charged issues that will drive you to one state or other without being controversial yeah, yeah. sure um Kansas passed a law um, that legalizes gambling. Okay. Missouri has refused to do that. So, oh, yeah. you can, so if you want to gamble on uh, Vegas style, if you will, then you just go over to Kansas. Yeah, yeah. Riverboat stuff? Kansas, they have, they have river, riverboat uh, casinos? No, they actually, you know, booking. Like, I'm not saying there's a Caesars in Kansas, but yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. The same bets that you would make in in uh, Las Vegas on uh, on 
the Chiefs or or the Kansas Jayhawks or Missouri Tigers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll be in Las Vegas next week. So if you want, oh. me, to place, want me to place a bet for you, let me know. All right. Kansas City Chiefs. I Kansas am an avid Kansas City Chiefs fan. All right. How is uh, Patrick Mahomes doing? Doing well. Um, I think um, I was telling uh, a buddy of mine that's a uh, former Kansas City Chief, two of them, last night. Um, I said, I think this is his best year. And they said, why? I said, because you don't rely on a guy that runs a 4-2-1 all the time. Right. And so you ha- you're forced to read, to make your second and third reads and make them on the run. And that makes it for a special year for me. Ultimately, I don't know if that'll catch up with us. But um, to me, he seems like a better quarterback because of the, the reads he has now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it, it takes a little bit to mature. Um, I'm I'm from uh, Boston. So, you know, I'm a Tom Brady fan and uh, he's gone, but the the third string quarterback is doing amazing. Uh, Zappio. Zappi. Yeah. Zappi. But I mean, so the, the the big star, Mac Jones, he, he got hurt. He might not come back. I mean, I I don't think he's starting this game. Yeah. Yeah. I I read, uh, I think it was this morning that uh, uh, Belichick was very coy about uh, Mac's, um, uh, stats. Yeah, that's and, right. I mean, the way the way Zappos played, frankly, I don't know that they should bring him back. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really something because he's a no name. He went to a where the heck did he go? Houston Baptist. I mean, some no name school, and then he went to Western Kentucky is where he finished. But he's really a you know late round pick, and he's playing amazing. So you never know. Yeah, you don't. You don't. You know, you never know where it's going to go. So how, how did you get started? Tell me how you got started and why you wanted to become a lawyer. Um, when I was an undergrad, uh, I had a, a, a history professor. Um, I, I'm a avid reader um, and uh, particularly about history. And I've had this love for years. In undergrad, he would tell me, you need to go to law school. You need to go to law school. Uh, I came from what I like to say from a solidly low, lower middle-class background. Okay. And what that means is I'm not suggesting for one second I lived in poverty and that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that it was below middle-class and I didn't even realize that we didn't have much until I got to college and saw what other people had. Right. Um, it was a good childhood, it was a good teenage years, but um, you realize just how much your, your folks struggled. And so um, I thought, you know what? Um, yeah, I'll go to law school as soon as I buy my first, uh, you know, nice sports car and, uh, you know, get a job. I just want to live for just a minute. And, uh, you know, seven, eight years later, um, nine years later or, or so, um, I was in law school. So it, it took more than a minute. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting what you said there because, uh you know, you get comfortable in your where you are. You don't you don't look around when you're when you're a kid. I mean, you don't even realize you're happy just being a kid, right? So that's right. That's right. And and the neighborhood is large was largely um, uh, blue collar, um, either uh, construction, factory workers, auto industry. Uh, that's where most of the the parents worked, um, and so. Um, you know, like I said, we just, you didn't know that you were below any sort of median 
or average uh, as it relates to um, the you know the socioeconomic ladder to yeah. play. And I, I've never looked at it as any sort of disadvantage. In fact, I believe it's a tremendous advantage. I'm with you on that. I tell people that all the time. My view on debt it was is um, predicated on how I grew up. I could not agree with you more. I grew up in kind of a blue collar. I mean, it changed over the years, but it was it was kind of a rough little town outside of Boston, and um, and it still is. In fact, it's even probably worse than it was when I was growing up. And uh, I always credit that to success because you learn how to interact with all kinds of people, and you know what it's like to sort of work hard and struggle right that's right that's and, right I, I i often tell uh you know someone asks me um you know what the, what are keys to success i you know i said it, it's relatively simple it, it is the desire to say to yourself at the end of the day nobody can outwork me right and if you have that type of attitude i tell i tell any young lawyer i tell my partners you have a shot and if you, you really have that are you willing to give people a shot that other people might not because absolutely. of the absolutely okay absolutely um i am um, i'm a product of people uh seeing something in me that i never saw i i clerked for uh a you know i went to law school you know older than than many of my um classmates you know i had a job right and it was a good job but i yeah. just wasn't satisfied and i go to law school um and um, my uh, dean at that time came to me and she said, you know, you ought to, you ought to get on law review. And I said, well, I, I, what's law review? <laughs> like, I, I don't you know when nobody, my, and my spear was in, was in law. I didn't know what that was. She said, you right. need to do this. I trusted her and I did it. She then comes to me a year later and she said, you ought to, you ought to think about a, a clerkship. Again, what, what what's a clerkship? Said, well, you get to work with, uh, you know, with your grades and 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 who you are and how you present yourself. Um, I think that you have a shot at a federal clerkship. I said, okay, you know, the the lower middle class kid and he comes out and says, well, Dean, what does that pay? And at that time, which was 1995, it was uh, like $35,000 a year. Yeah. And I said, but I have the biggest law firm in the in the um, city and one of the biggest in on the planet that wants to pay me $60,000. So um, why would I do that? And she said, because it'll change your life. And I believed her and I did it. And by the grace of God, I, you know, got four interviews and offered a clerkship and clerk for a federal judge who, um, uh, Fernando Gaetan, who be, became my judge, who then became my mentor, who then became one of my best friends. And we like to joke about the fact that, you know, we played golf in probably four, four or five different cities and uh, two different countries. <laughs> nice. so, um, that would not have happened if the dean hadn't saw something in me when I started working with the judge he said to me you know great things are going to happen for you and so why don't you start thinking about x y and z and I said you know 
at that point it was judge, you know, I said, judge, you know, in all due respect, I, I don't, I'm not seeing this. Okay. Uh, we, I, we just had our first daughter, uh, and, um, but another one on the way, um, I'm just trying to survive. Uh, I just want to do a good job. So this lofty notion that someday I'm going to be something special, I, you know, I, I just don't see that. And, um, you know, 10 years after that, uh, I became, um, or 12 years after that, I was elected to be the uh, president of the bar for Missouri. Um, and uh, he often jokes with me saying, I told you, you should have listened to me. <laughs> and that was him taking a chance on me, um, him seeing something in me. And that's what I look for. You know, um, grades are important. They are they are indicative that you will work hard. Yep. But grades to me, um, I think you're doing a disservice to a person if you don't look beyond, you know, at other issues. One of the things that's important is looking at how your grades ascend. Walking into law school is bizarre because there's no frame of reference. And so people start off slow. But if you continually go up that ladder or skyrocket up, that's the person I want. That's the mm. person that says, I figured this out. I'm going to work hard. So it, let's say out of 100 people, let's say they finish 25, right? The biggest firms say, I, you know, they looked at 25. But I'd say, throw out that first year. Let's take a look at that person's grades from there. They would finish in the top three. And so those are gems that I look for. I also look for people, I'm a huge proponent of diversity and inclusion. Um, every, literally every major case that I have had any success in in the last 10 years has come from ideas from people that don't look like me, that mm -hmm. didn't grow up like me, it is their viewpoint that has helped. And they're not all lawyers. They're paralegals. There's a secretary. There's a secretary on a great case, and my, uh, an assistant that said, hey, you know I'm not a lawyer, but what about X? And me and another lawyer looked at each other, and I think we almost hugged him. It's like, oh, my God. Why, would, why didn't we think of that? Well, because we're working too hard, and we're not thinking of the obvious. And so... I value, I love the idea of different vantage points to look at something because that's the only way you get the best solution. Absolutely. That's why America is the most innovative country on in the planet because there's a ton of diversity here. You get lots of inputs, lots of different people, different cultures, different backgrounds. Absolutely. And it's, it's not only race. That's an obvious one. It's yeah. not only sexual preference or gender. That's that's obvious. But where you grew up, how you grew up, um, the 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 struggles that you had as a child, um, all of those things. We all have a hero's journey, and um, it, everybody's hero's journey can do something to help the betterment of, of the team. And, Maybe it's a product of, of loving sports and being a part of sports, but it, everything's team oriented to me. Yeah. If there's somebody that puts themselves above the team, um, I think it's my job to put them out the door. There you go. The, the good stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm on the same page. I totally agree.
Um, you know, when, when it comes to business, I mean, it's a team game. It is. There's no islands. That doesn't work. Mm -mm. So you not mentioned long -term. <laughs> not long term. It doesn't. So I want to ask you quickly before we end this uh, music. You mentioned music. Talk about that for me. You said that was your new passion. Well, I won't say a new passion. I would say it's my passion. Okay. Uh, I've been fortunate enough. Uh, um, I uh, had a, it's not really a chance meeting, um, but I had an opportunity to meet a um, five-time Grammy winner, one of the greatest musicians on the planet by the name of Victor Wooten. Um, he plays with a band, one of the many bands called uh, Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. Very interesting group. Um, he's generally renowned as the greatest bass player on the planet. And maybe most musicians say one of the best musicians in any genre on the planet. Um, I went to his sort of music camp and it's a, it's a camp uh, went as an anniversary gift. Um, and the camp is um, people from all over the country come together and you just hang out and play music. So you're liable to be standing there and there's a, the guitar player from um, um, Dave Matthews band. These are yep. true stories. And the yeah, yeah, piano yeah. player, uh, the, the sax player from, from um, the Isley Brothers. Um, there's someone who played with Billy Island um, that's walking by. Um, there's uh, someone that actually played bass with Frank Sinatra's band, right? As much as you see that, it's really populated with people that varying degrees of musical chops. From me, I walked out there uh, and and they tell this story at the camp. Now I tell it. When I went out there, I did not know what a scale was. I did not know what the strings were on a bass or a guitar. All I knew is I could kind of listen to a, a commercial, and I could pick up an instrument and kind of play it for some reason. Uh, and so we went out there, and by chance I was very shy they laugh now they now know that i'm a litigator and they all thought i was an accountant right because i would i like, go up on the stage i'm like for what listen to these people right so we get to the last day it's uh uh sunday and i was thought i'm not coming back here i'm gonna go for it so i'd written a song had no idea i now i now play the song now in bands it's a descending g major a scale I didn't know. I just knew it sounded good. I got up there. There was nobody on the stage. I walked up, I plugged, and I started playing. I'd been playing for every bit of, you know, two months. And all of a sudden, a flute player comes up and starts playing with me. I'm like, what? And then two bass players, a drummer, a singer, and a sax player. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. I get done with the song. I get ready to walk out. Victor says, where are you going? I said, I got to catch a flight back in Sydney. It's so nice meeting you, so forth and so on. He told me, don't you dare stop playing music. He said, you're really good. And I never will forget this. He said, you just don't know what you're doing. <laughs> music is a language. Once you learn the language, you're going to be great. Fast forward that to now, that's 10 years. In 10 years, I've been um, played internationally and nationally in jazz and, and Americana um, uh, radio, uh, been uh, quoted in, in print. Um, we just, uh, one of the 
bands that I'm in, Basque Soul. Um, two of our songs are going to be released, and I co-wrote them both, um, are going to be uh, in a mo movie soundtrack. Um, and people say, well, you just had all this natural talent. I, and I tell them, no, I did not. I, I was the guy who would get up. If I had to be at work at eight, I was up at 530 practicing scales because I just wanted to learn. You come come home, you put the kids to bed, you you have your 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 family duties and so forth. And I would play at night and it was never a chore. And um, then I start composing music that and then I knew why I was composing it. Um, and so it it is just it is like I believe it's the lifeblood of all of us as human beings. There's a spirituality and a neutrality that goes with music that you simply can't get anywhere else. Mm. Religion defi uh, defines us and divides us, unfortunately. Um, even if you call it spirituality, there's always this juxtaposition of who's right or who's wrong. With music, it's not that. Right. Look, I, I listen to, I'm just as happy listening to Willie Nelson as I am to Bach. I'm just as happy to listen to Coltrane as I am to Dave Matthews Band. This is good music. I love Miles Davis, but I love Jimi Hendrix just as much. Um, and so my music is, um, I think I, if I have one cool thing to say that someone ever <laughs> said about me is someone wrote an article recently and they said, the music is genreless. And so I take, uh, I play in different formats. Now I think I've got a show next week. I'm just doing a bass, I'll play bass electric bass and a harmonica player. Um, after that, um, I've got some stuff with a band with a saxophone and keyboards and drums and bass. So um, it's all over the place. Wow. And a banjo. I play with a guy that uh, my first band uh, is, uh, and we still get together. Uh, 10 days, 10 years ago yesterday, according to Facebook, we had our first show. And we all met at that camp. That I was telling you about with Victor Wooten. The band camp. Amazing, amazing musicians as a banjo, bass, and, and uh, percussion. So I, I love it. I'm passionate about it. The parallels between uh, music and uh, law are striking. Hmm. Um, and I use that to my advantage. Wow. I'm glad I asked you that question. Didn't mean to drone on, but. Uh, oh, I no, no. I mean, that was, that, that was amazing. Um, you know, I, uh, my mother uh, made me take uh, music as a kid. And I played the trumpet for about two weeks and I quit. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, uh, I, I, I understand that as a kid, I, the, the notion of piano lessons, I thought was goofy. Um, and I think I lasted maybe a week less than you did. Um, but um, I tell people now, they say, man, you just have this insatiable curiosity about music. And they say, what are you doing next? They say, I'm learning the piano and I'm learning the cello. Um, they said, why? I said, let me ask you a question. And I'll end this with this. I said, do you know of one adult in your life that doesn't wish they could play an instrument? The answer is not a one of us. Right. And so that should tell you something about the beauty and the connectivity of music. Excellent. Good stuff. Very interesting. So on that note, let's we'll 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 close here what do you want to leave with the audience about uh your firm and you and what's the best way to connect with you 
Um, I, again, my firm is Cypher Blumenthal and Harrison. I'm blessed enough to be the Harrison in the name. Um, we have a national practice um, and rapidly have become a go-to firm for really tough cases, um, trials and so forth in the employment and business litigation um, and insurance defense, uh, high, high level uh, insurance defense uh, work. Um, we are all largely big firm of refugees. Um, there's nothing wrong with big firms. I learned my chops there, as did my partners, the name partners, and those that are not. Um, we all learn there, but there's a entrepreneurial spirit that we all brought to our firm. There is a, I won't say, um, I'll say dislike for meetings that take away from servicing your client. Um, it's all focus driven on the client and it's based upon putting together the right team for the right case. We don't cookie cut. Um, and so I'm really, really proud of, of the accolades. I would encourage anyone to go look at our website. You'll, it is um, astonishing the, the, the accolades that, uh, that we have. Uh, the top 30 most powerful lawyers in employment um, we have three of the 30 and no other firm even had at last year didn't even have two and we've got three and there's only 12 of us in the law firm right and you think about that going against law firms that have five six hundred people they can't get two on there and we've got three um many of our lawyers are best in america uh many of us are super lawyers many um are in the college of trial uh, lawyers um, it's just a, a wonderful group, and and what's special about my firm, it is it isn't the accolades. It's that, you know, I I think the 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 most the strongest thing that you can say about anyone, in my view, is this, and this is when you know you trust someone. I say, you know that someone's special when you can say the following. I would let them watch my kid. If my kid was young and something happened to me, that's a good person. That's someone you trust. That's someone who has a moral compass that is right. And I'm and I'm pleased to be around people like that. Um, um, I would, you know, if you want to know anything about me, you can Google and and get a get a good uh, laugh on the, some of the music uh, videos and some of the uh, interviews regarding my music and and how I view music and the law is they're ju they're just extensions they really are very much the same thing um i credit music with um giving my left brain a good workout um i think the problem and, I, and i'm i've said this i've been fortunate enough to actually have people listen to me in speeches or cle's say this is the biggest one of the biggest dangers besides lack of civility in our profession is that lawyers spend too much time identifying themselves as lawyers mm. um you you were something else before you became a lawyer and if your identity is wrapped up in just that you are one-dimensional um, and so i encourage people to you know use the left side of your brain yes there's innovation with tr trying cases or 
trying to settle a case or cases in general. But that's just a small fraction of using your left side of your brain. That's a lot right brain. Mm. Left brain is sitting down in front of a piano and knowing that you can't play piano, but coming up with a melody, writing it down, putting it on a chart, and then going to an instrument you can play and, and playing it. That's all left brain. Um, and that's what I think keeps us creative and young and, and helps with depression. Um, and, and some of the other things that plague our, our profession, su suicides, um, um, marital breakups, lack of stability in the family, those are all uh, inherent, if not um, at epidemic sort of uh, level in our, in our um, profession now. And it's, I think it's because people don't have an outlet uh, or if they do have an outlet, they don't take the time to explore it. Good stuff. Well, listen, we could talk forever. So I'm going to I'm going to let you get back to music and and practice in law uh, for everybody. Charlie Harris, really a fantastic session. Really appreciate it with the uh, law firm of Cypress, Blumenthal and Harris um, in uh, Missouri, not not Kansas. And this yes. is sponsored by Emotion Track. And we're a legal tech platform that helps litigators like yourself prepare for uh, mediation and trials. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure to spend time with you. Jonathan, thank you. This has been my pleasure. And uh, I'm glad you selected me. And I hope I've been of some help to somebody somewhere. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye.